Hey everybody, this little bottle contains an absolute miracle. It'll help you start your day off feeling great and with a ton of energy, even if you've had a couple of drinks the night before. Dbiotics.com forward slash reach, you'll get 15% off. Hey everyone, welcome to Narrative Live. We're so grateful you're with us tonight. Over the last few weeks, we've been at the forefront of the coverage of the McGonigal Affair, the biggest FBI spy scandal in history. This is the story of a supervising counterintelligence agent who lands up working for a Russian oligarch named Oleg Deripaska and also turns out to be freelancing on the side as a dirty tricks operative for the Albanian prime minister, shaking down politicians, creating crime, corrupting democracies, and making a lot of money along the way, it seems. McGonagall has been arraigned on charges of not disclosing information. But our research has led us to believe that McGonagall's actions were far more serious, potentially a part of an effort to destabilize the Balkans, disrupt its fledgling democracies, and perhaps allow Vladimir Putin to reignite the Serbian war. Two weeks ago, we revealed there were as many as four former federal agents involved in the McGonagall affair, including McGonagall. And last week, we took a closer look at the cases he was assigned in the last two years he served at the Bureau. These were two years where the Bureau had arguably its most important cases ever, the Trump-Russia case and the Hillary emails case. The overarching concern? Could a former FBI agent who landed up on an oligarch's payroll have impacted the investigation into 2016? Over the last few weeks, we've assessed this spy scandal as the biggest in decades in the FBI history. Now we believe it's the biggest in the history of the FBI. It may even be the biggest spy scandal in the history of the United States. With that, let's welcome Eric Garland back to the show, futurist, a best-selling author, and the host of Game Theory. How are you, Eric? It's good to see you again. Thanks for joining us in the special edition. Glad to be back. And yeah, it sounds pretty bad when you put it that way. I noticed that the mainstream media who have been trying to avoid it actually landed up doing some service to it over the weekend and also this evening, which is good to see that there is some attempts to put it back into the limelight here. This is a, and I believe, a fundamentally huge story that is going to really shape the FBI going forward because they, their argument is, just to give them a point of purview here, is that they say, hey, we're the guys who caught him. We're the guys who investigated him. We're the guys who indicted him with these two strong indictments. That stuck. Doesn't work for me so much because what if there's more that you didn't catch or you don't want us to see? And that's where it gets into tonight's show, which we'll look at the various aspects from Steele to Wiener and to see whether those cases were impacted. The breadth of this scandal is what makes it. And it brings us back to a year that is getting further away, but that we still need to cover, which is 2016. Right. Some of this goes back to 2012. Some of it goes back to 1912, actually. But in a, on a day when the uh, Fulton County, Georgia, special grand jury just reported and said, hey, the election was clean, but the witnesses were dirty. Yeah. Uh, so that the entourage around Donald Trump messing with the 2020 election, it looks like the prosecutions are just happening. But we're still dealing with how Trump got in office to begin with, which seemed to have quite a bit of support from the FBI, which is not what they're supposed to be doing. Back to 2016 we go. 
It's ideal that both of us are here to do this tonight because we're among the two who first stumbled on the Trump-Russia story in 2016 and put it out there in, in our different ways. You had that incredible tweet that is now, according to the New York Times, the number 14th most impactful tweet of all time. Wow, Eric, that's, uh, that's pretty big. Well done on that. Um, Such an honor. It's almost as good as the Pulitzer. It's pretty good. I got to say, even better than the Pulitzer. It does put you in a prime position to really assess of when we sat there in 2016 looking at this potential problem, potential crisis. Did you think any of the years that followed that with Mueller and with the FBI and everyone else trying to investigate this particular case? I was always frustrated by the efforts of the Department of Justice and the FBI to come anywhere near close solving this. I just felt like, what's going on? Why are they missing so much? That is a lot of why I came out so early with that thread on Twitter and in a fairly complete form about what was going on, because I was so alarmed by the inaction. I have a lot of contacts around the world and quite a few in the U.S. government, and I've been doing intelligence for 25 years now, and I have people that know things. And so when something like super alarming, like Queen's mobster becomes president and states that we didn't think were going to go that direction, went that direction. We start calling around and asking, all right, so what's going on? And the most alarming thing was not this guy, Trump's connected to all this stuff. It's, he's got this son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's coming with him. It was, I'm not sure what's going on. What do you mean you don't know what's going on? Nobody knows what's going on. What do you, that's, a, that's big. What do you mean nobody knows what's going on? And basically... There were a lot of people who were panicking, but now I realize there were a lot of people who were in on it. And so the the inaction was the strategic point, I think. I think so. And as we'll discover tonight, the constant spotlight on her emails was also very much a strategic effort, I think, on behalf of both the FBI and others, which is very troubling. We should tell people, why would we think that this, this is even a reason to go back to 2016? Clearly, McGonagall was on the payroll of Oleg Deripaska, who's a key player in 2016. And therefore, just you'd want to go back and just take a look to see if there was any damage caused by the guy who lands up on the payroll of Putin's favorite oligarch. But also, he was directly involved in 2016. I'm not sure people have quite landed on this notion that Charles McGonagall was the guy who received the tip that launched Crossfire Hurricane. He was on the receiving end at the headquarters when the Papadopoulos claimed that there were thousands of emails being held by Russia that were going to be used to help Donald Trump. It, was, it landed up on McGonagall's desk. And that's where Crossfire Hurricane, the big investigation at the FBI, came from. So that's not nothing. That's the origin of the biggest investigation in FBI history, one would think, or close to, excluding January 6th. And then at the same time, we think it landed on his desk because he was also responsible for investigating the GRU hack of the DNC, which in his portfolio as the section chief in charge of cyber counterintelligence in D.C., that investigation, I think, fell under his purview as well. Though I can't confirm that part completely. It does seem to make sense, which is why the tip that came from Papadopoulos landed up on his desk as well. So you've got two big aspects of the Trump-Russia probe that were probably under his purview before he even got to the New York field office when he was at FBI headquarters as the section chief of cyber counterintelligence. I think that's enough to say, hey, we should go back and look at all those investigations because it's our democracy, it's our judicial system, it's our Federal Bureau of Investigations. If there's anything wrong in there, we've got to find out before this happens again. It's hard to imagine anything worse. And I think you referred to him as a supervisory agent. The place he ended up as the head of counterintelligence in the New York office, which 
is perhaps more important with the Washington field office for being the most important place for analysis of Russian counterintelligence, because primarily of the Russian mafia being so close in Brooklyn, but also the United Nations being there and it being just America's largest and most important city. And he rose to head of counterintelligence there, which would have meant he had access to countless of the highest clearance requiring secrets that we have. He wouldn't have known the identities of all our various moles, all our various sources. He'd know the progress of all kinds of investigations. And to find out that once he was placed into that high position the same month that somebody at FBI was feeding the aforementioned New York Times mm. false information about Trump and Russia. Mm. And let, let, me let me just go back and yeah. highlight that while you get the smirk about the 14th, the 14th most important tweet, mm. it was once again a negative frame about me and my revelations of that day. It was like, I think the comments were, it's proof that baby boomers will believe anything they read on the internet. I was like, or it was an outline of the Mueller report two and a half years in advance. Or you should uh, believe everything the New York Times says about you anyhow. They're no position to be chucking rocks here because the month that this McGonagall guy ascends to that position at FBI, they run a story saying investigating Trump, they find no, no connections to Russia, which is like investigating ocean. They found no connections to moisture. It's not to say that he's only connected to Russia. He has lots of dirty connections, but you got a couple of Russia contacts there. You know what? You we're going to dive right into that into that timeline because that's a big part of what uh, what we'll do tonight is just look at that timeline throughout July all the way through November and the number of times that you find Jim Comey intervening and the new uh, or the FBI commenting to the New York Times or it's, it becomes very clear in hindsight that the level of intervention was completely inappropriate, but actually fundamentally changed the course of the elections, I believe, 2016. In October of 2016, that's when Comey puts McGonagall at the top of counterintelligence. And then, like, immediately after, the guy goes galling, gallivanting off to Albania and the Balkans and yeah. all these terrible places doing terrible things. So it could be Comey is not our homie. It could be. And this chart is really interesting because this is the four actual fe former federal agents that are connected to the McGonagall affair in different ways. Two of them have not been charged. Mark Thomas Rossini has been charged in a different case in Puerto Rico, but I, I suspect he's flipped. But Louis Bladell is an interesting guy because he is the guy who preceded Charles McGonagall in the post of, sec of the uh, special agent in charge of counterintelligence in the New York field office. So everything that was going on up until uh, Charles McGonagall is also tainted by, by the scandal because Louis Bledel, when he was working at Ernst & Young later on, went to dinner with the Albanian prime minister and Charles McGonigal and got a deal from the Albanian government for Ernst & Young. So there's even more, not as direct corruption as there was in, in McGonigal's case, but there's another former federal agent who had the senior job, who according to these indictments, was also being lured by the Albanian prime minister and whatever former intelligence ad agents he had with him. We'll talk a little bit more on the other side of this. Hey, everybody, it's Zev from Narrative. This is the most romantic week of the year. And you know what that means? Dinners, dates, drinks, and more. And sometimes those celebrations can leave you feeling a little worse for wear the next morning. I have discovered an absolutely brilliant solution for that. It's called Z-Biotics. It's a pre-alcohol probiotic, and it's a miracle formula that allows you to have a few drinks at night 
without getting those awful post-drinking blues the next day. No need to worry about safety. It's all natural and FDA compliant. You can get Zbiotics for 15% off your first order with my code REACH, R-E-A-C-H. I recommend getting the six-pack. That's what I got, and it's a great deal. And you'll have a couple of extra to share with your friends. Click the link in the description box or scan the QR code on the screen right now and use code REACH, R-E-A-C-H, at checkout. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash reach and get 15% off plus 100% money back guarantee if you're not satisfied. Make this date night one even Cupid would be proud of. Get some Zbiotics today so you can still feel the love tomorrow. I like that. Indeed, it's a good product. I highly recommend it, although I don't really drink, but it's, don't tell anyone that. Uh, <laughs> see, it's funny. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, we're, we're, ta- we're talking about lethal spies. And uh, by the way, here's a hangover cure. It does, it, it links up for a lot of our audience. Probably. If you, sometimes this stuff does drive you to drink. Not in my case right now, but it's true. There's been moments in the last few years where I've, oh my gosh, I need a drink. So Oswalt, Pat Nod- the great comedian Pat Oswalt did a great bit where he's talking about what happened after Trump got elected. He goes, you could hear the sound of all those AA Alcoholics Anonymous chips like being spun across a pond like the, the, the sea in four years. I mean, for sure. It was a dramatic uh, moment. Let's look at this timeline. There's John Trapadopoulos in April 26th of 2016. And he's letting it be known that from Mr. Muff, Professor Mifsud, is his name? Joseph Mifsud. Mifsud. Maltese. Mifsud. Yeah. But he gets this tip. He gets this tip from Mifsud that there's uh, Russians are ready to help with thousands, thousands of emails that they've got from Hillary Clinton, and they would love to help the Trump campaign with that. This time, this time, Papadopoulos was already a member of the advisory council to Donald Trump. And he shares that information with Alex Downer, who's the Australian high commissioner to London at the time, which is like their ambassador to London. And he tells him, hey, listen, this Russians are going to help us with all this dirt. That's crazy and amazing. Alex Downer tells his government, the government goes to the legal attache of a American embassy, an American embassy legal attache takes down the notes and identifies that the tip needs to go to, firstly, they check with the Philadelphia Office Counterintelligence Department because that's where their contact were. But that guy at the Counterintelligence Department said, hey, take it up to this section chief in Washington, D.C., Charles McGonigal. And that is how we got to the point where Mr. McGonigal became the, the recipient of that first tip. Now, But you might think, hey, that's really, what's wrong with that? That sounds like a legitimate chain of events. And it might be. It might just be that's fine and that there's no connection between McGonigal and Papadopoulos. It's interesting to me that Papadopoulos was identified by the Mueller investigation as potentially being an Israeli agent. Now, Robert Mueller never went there. He never said he is. He, Papadopoulos himself said that Mueller was investigating his Israeli ties, not his Russian ties. Maybe he's an agent. Maybe he was an agent. Who knows? Maybe he's an agent for the Israelis. And then it would be interesting if he called up and landed up. If that tip was an Israeli agent-generated tip that was fed into the Australian high commissioner and then fed all the way into Charles McGonigal, that's interesting to me because it did suddenly become the reason to have an investigation. Actually, this is just occurring to me. There's a couple of things. Uh, first of all, that the tip went to the Philadelphia field yeah. office for counterintelligence yeah. is weird because why did they have jurisdiction? 
That's they, they didn't really. The person who made the call, the legal attache who made the call, just had a contact there, and, they, and she thought, well, "Let me call them and figure out where this, where the GRU case has landed," because no, they weren't clear where the GRU I mean, case has that landed. That can. That can happen. Look, if you're, I live in St. Louis, if you happen to know anybody downtown here and go, hey, where would this guy learn about this thing with this Armenian yeah. guy came? Which way do I go? And yeah. they go, Seattle or yeah. whatever. That would be okay. If it's, they have some special deal over there, I got some questions. But here's the thing. If, this points to some of the weaknesses here. If it's, you know, it's FBI counterintelligence's job to know a guy like George Papadopoulos start, starts working for a, political campaign, whether or not he's working as an agent, a witting agent on task for foreign power, if they knew that he had a chance of being that, they don't prosecute those guys. The point is not to prosecute. Prosecution is a huge problem in mm -hmm. counterintelligence because you have to give up sources and methods. You have to do disclosure to the defense attorneys. It's, it's a mess. Also, a lot of the actions they may be taking might not necessarily cross clearly a boundary for felony that you can nail them on. Yeah. What they do is neutralize. They, they figure out some way to get, get rid of this guy, tell him they, that they know who he is, pull his source of money, and neutralize a guy and get him off the campaign. And that probably happens in every campaign at the presidential level, that there's somebody who's working, maybe they're an intern, maybe they're the campaign manager, and they get convinced to exit stage left. But somehow, Papadopoulos, so they were all allowed to just run the Trump campaign with minimal interference. They really were. That's a really good point you're making, that the Manafort was allowed to survive for quite some time. It was only until the New York Times published the ledger from Ukraine that he was suddenly exposed. But we all knew beforehand where his origins came from. We always knew that who he worked for. So the FBI did stay away from interfering in these campaigns, at least internally. Or, but in the public space, they kept him interfering because... On See, that's the point. Yeah. It's like they were not hands off with starting off the, these, these investigations of Hillary's emails. They're going a few days before the election. They, they had no fear of letting everybody know that they were involved looking over the presidential election in mm -hmm. terms of the candidates. But they seem to have been very light fingered when it came to all the operatives around. Mm -hmm. There were many. Yeah, the entire campaign in both was. campaigns. Yeah, in, in both, both campaigns. Yeah, thank that you. Is true. So you get to May, and then there's the hack of the DNC. What do they retrieve? They retrieve emails that they then are threatening to release through WikiLeaks. Then July 5th. This is there were so many email cases. I had to go back and write this down because there were the first case that was she was using a home server to basically keep her State Department emails. Apparently a big deal. Comey shows up on July 5th with this incredibly long, I won't play it this time, played it last week, long speech about how she didn't commit any crimes, but boy, it's bad and she'd be so careless. It's really naughty, naughty Hillary. So it leaves, it leaves yeah. a, a mark in your brain that, hey, this isn't really cleared up. It's just like they're not charging her, but they don't like what she did. I challenge any American over a certain age to go back in time and tell me one thing that Bob Mueller, Louis Free, William Sessions, any of the prior FBI directors said during a campaign ever. And go poll the, the American people on how many people know who the FBI director is at any given time. Like nobody. And typically they keep their, their lips zipped. And also at the director level, to be involved in an investigation like that, 
directors of that that's an agency 35,000 special agents 15,000 analysts offices all over the world the director is directing like change management the future of the capabilities of the agency are going to be yeah. they're not down going what kind of computer did she have did she have a Hewlett Packard did she have a Mac which no there's there's 40 levels of people down beneath that so that yeah, what strikes me, this whole pattern is it's interesting. It always comes back to this group of guys that all know each other from the nineties. Oh yeah. In New York. Funny you should mention that. Funny so that's because this whole group of guys and includes Comey there, but this is the class of 96. I think basically you've got James Colstrom's <laughs> New York FBI office that, you know, and we all know James Colstrom is very close to Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> very close to Donald Trump. I was yeah. class of 96, but uh, this one is more notorious. Yeah. And look at the guys that showed up there. And there's quite a lot of people, Louis Free, who later on becomes very wealthy somehow. Even Rudy became very wealthy. And so we know that Rudy and Trump kept in touch with these guys through the FBI union. When they were no longer in their positions of power, they supported the FBI union through very large donations. And I think Colstrom ran the union for a long period of time. There's a way that there's a connection between the FBI and New York office which seem to outlive their time in office. Interesting. I thought we as the American taxpayers covered their uh, pensions and their... Yeah, the yeah. union is the union. It does. It is interesting that all these people landed up knowing each other from back then, and they were all covering the, guess what, the Russian mob thing that was happening back then. That, so they were in Brooklyn. Around. All these guys would have known all these characters from the mob world, from the Russian mob world ages ago. But let's go back to the timeline just to keep us moving along here. So then you've got the WikiLeaks actual email release wild that it happened just three weeks after Comey's press conference and just at the same time as they were readying to to launch the crossfire hurricane it just all seems so neat doesn't it it just makes you go it's so much can i do a little little mini media rant here though if you go back to my if you go to my youtube channel and go back to live stream that i did with the analyst josh faust in i'm going to say 2010 when Manning did the first theft of data from the Pentagon and hands it to this Australian dude, Julian Assange. I'm on record there going, that's not journalism. And everyone came out and they're like, oh, there was maybe a war crime here. It's like, no, Pentagon hard drives are not journalism. Then three years later, this dude from the NSA walks out of Hawaii, flies to Hong Kong, and then flies to Moscow. And the media just covers it. Oh my God, this is journalism. And I'm on record going, it's not journalism. It is not journalism. But everyone's like, no, this is how journalism is done. These people were just telling us the story. And then all of a sudden, all the, and then 2016 comes up three years late after that. And they're in basically intervening on behalf of Donald Trump. And the media kept still taking them seriously and not revisiting. The media have a lot to answer for. The, even this timeline itself, it was, it was breathlessly covered by the media. And they still do it today. I've only heard, seen one major story on McGonagall since it, since it started on the mainstream media. There are things they love and there are things they don't love. This is one of those things they did love and they covered a lot. Now, I just went and highlighted the word email here because it's the same chart. But boy, look at all the emails that were floating around. This is clearly an attempt to make the emails for Hillary Clinton an issue throughout the entire campaign, even though she was cleared in July 5th. Everything is email related. There, there is so much to talk about Donald Trump and Russia, but all they can talk about is emails for some reason. If I want compromise on someone, do you know what I want? What? The bank records. Yes, not the email. Show me the bank transfers. Show me the money offshore. Yeah, yeah. 
Show me the names of the LLCs and I will give you those people. Yeah. But this is, there's an email and maybe they, they, they used Comic Sans font or they used super 20 point type is really bad. Yeah. It's really, and the thing is the emails were negligible, not that interesting after all. Anyhow, as we found out, but it didn't stop, it didn't stop Jim Comey from coming out on October the 30th and to say, oh my gosh, I have more email news for you because we, you know, the Wiener laptop, we found some emails that were backed up from Hillary's hard drive. And now it's in the last week before the elections. And we're just going to spend the next week obsessing about this with you guys. And then clear it on November 6th. And this timeline is even more suspect than the re- previous one. And uh, let me put up October for you here and you can get a sense of how insane this last month was. You had October the 4th, McGonagall arrives, or at least is announced as a new job at the New York, at the New York field office. Then October the 7th, the Clinton campaign puts out that pussy tape. And then the <laughs> Trump campaign, or at least WikiLeaks, responds with the Clinton email dump right afterwards and is able to retrieve the, the narrative. So it was like a one-two punch, but hey, look who did it. It was the WikiLeaks who landed up responding so quickly. Then there's the second debate. And I think I have a clip here of October 9th. He's talking about her emails and about the FBI and her emails. Listen to this very carefully. I didn't think I'd say this, but I'm going to say it. And I hate to say it, but if I win, I am going to instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation because there has never been so many lies, so much deception. There has never been anything like it. And we're going to have a special prosecutor. When I speak, I go out and speak. The people of this country are furious. In my opinion, the people that have been long-term workers at the FBI are furious. There has never been anything like this where emails and you get a subpoena Long-term workers at the FBI get a special mention in the October 9th press debate because they're so upset about the emails that Hillary Clinton is supposedly acid washing or whatever it was she was doing. What are the chances are that he's really, he's not concerned about the long-term workers at the FBI. He is plain out just dog whistling to them and saying, go guys, I think. Why else would you mention the long-term workers at the FBI? I don't know. No, it, first of all, again, there's so many, he, if you rolled the tape longer, maybe he unsaid that or he, no, he said I, it. Yeah, I think he was, maybe no, I said it, but yeah. you know what I mean? He heard the track on yeah. that, but I do, does that sound like a, the story about Trump once he became president was like, he's an idiot. He says a lot of stuff that they would make fun of him for being an idiot on that I think is him winking at various yeah. groups of people. For example, you remember when COVID comes out and he's doing these press conferences with the scientist guys. And uh, there's a lot of propaganda about Bill Gates being somehow behind the COVID stuff. And he's like, ah, maybe you could just get a light and you shove it in somewhere and everyone's, and that'll take care of the COVID. And everyone laughs about that. And then you find out that uh, there are patented technologies to kill viruses of that type with a certain frequency of UV light. So it turns out that's not that stupid, but maybe people don't know that. Maybe somebody's commercializing one of those technologies in order to make money off this. And that's a, look, this guy was around the mafia his whole life. The real serious power player there, they threaten your life with three words. The thing over there, that's how, that's his native dialect. Yeah. Is just saying three, your cousin. Mm -hmm. And so he would do that. So that, yeah, yeah. That he name checks the FBI. There's those long-termers that like, I know who you are. 
Yeah. I know you guys. I know I what, know what you guys are doing for me, maybe, because the next few weeks rolls out a process of pre-billing for the James Comey Wiener laptop reveal. Go ahead. I was just thinking that's also around the time that he would have been receiving candidate briefings. So he would have been receiving top secret briefings around that time. Yep. So yep. he might have been in a position to wink at a few folks. Every minute of narratives reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives.